Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A few years ago, it seemed rather odd or out there to think about ordering a new mattress for your home that would be shipped and arrived on your front door in a box. Well, that idea is not so far-fetched anymore, thanks to a Utah-based company called Purple Innovations. Welcome to this episode of This is a Place for Business, an iHeartMedia Salt Lake City podcast I'm your host, Ron Arquette. Why has Utah become America's rising economic star? From taxes to education to the business climate, the Beehive State has its house in order, and that's being recognized by almost every media outlet in the country. Who are the leaders who are helping Utah manage to remain so economically competitive? They're creators, they're innovators, marketers, strategists who are making this all happen. We talk to these pioneers in business about their challenges opportunities, successes, and failures. My guest today, Joe Megabo. Joe is the CEO of Purple Innovations, a company created by entrepreneurs that went public just a few years ago. Joe, welcome to This is the Place for Business. Great to have you with us today. Thanks for being here. I hear this is the place. So yeah, thank you for having place. me. Yeah, good, good point. Good pickup. All right. Now, before we talk about, you know, your role in Purple and about the company and the challenges, the opportunities that you have, we play a little game. And we call it you in 60, but All we right. changed it and we call it Joe in 60. So what I'm going to do, Joe, is give you a lot of rapid fire questions and hopefully answers to kind of break the ice and get to know you a little bit more before we get into the meat of what we want to talk about today. You all ready? I'm, I'm only 50, so maybe we'll do me in 50. <laughs> all, I don't right, know. all right. We call it Joe in 60. And are you all set to go? You tell me. I'm ready. Let's all give right. this a shot. All right. Here we go. Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, Star Wars. All right. Uh, favorite word? Uh, let. Least favorite word? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, can't. All right. Skiing, water skiing, or snow skiing? Snow skiing. Snow skiing. That's why you're here in Utah. That is right? why I'm here. <laughs> All right. Best TV or cable channel? Best TV or cable channel? Right now, I am loving Disney+. Plus. <laughs> All right. New York or Los Angeles? Ooh, New York. Favorite color? Purple. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. The song that gets you going. Song that gets me going. Uh, I'd say my favorite song is probably In Your Eyes by Peter Gabriel. All right. The song that comforts you. That comforts me. Um, I, uh, I relax to an old school new age group called Mannheim Steamroller. Strongest asset? Strongest asset. Uh, I, strongest asset. That's a tough one. Sheer will. Weakest asset? Uh, let's see. I, uh, listening. All right. All right. All right. Uh, final one. Are you a social animal or do you like a quiet 
night at home. Definitely a social animal. Really, you like to get out there and and rub shoulders with folks, right? I love people. <laughs> All right, well, that's what we call Joe in 60. So we've broken the ice. We've got to know you a little bit. Now let's talk about Purple and Purple and what this company is all about. If someone came to you and said, okay, what is Purple Innovations? What would you say, Joe? So Purple, and, and really there's there's Purple historically, we've been around as a, in some form or another for over 30 years. But right now, fundamentally, we are a comfort technology company that primarily makes mattresses, although we also make some amazing pillows and seat cushions, uh, based on some really interesting novel innovations that we only have and we only manufacture that really is the first real evolution of, of materials and, uh, and construction for mattresses in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's, uh, it's, it's of our own design. We make it out of these elastic polymers, basically gels. We do it in, in a construction that no one else has ever done. It's kind of like a giant grid. We call it the purple grid. It's like a giant purple waffle. <laughs> um, and it has all of the positives of great mattresses like foams and memory foams with none of the negatives. Does not get hot, stays perfectly temperature neutral. It has perfectly even weight distribution across the surface of the bed. And all in, we believe it's actually the best mattress that's ever been made. All right. Take us back. You're becoming Joe. You're thinking about a career, what you want to do in life. Did you ever think you'd become a mattress salesman? Because Absolutely. that's basically what you are, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I aspired to be a used car salesman, and that just didn't work out for me. So I went with the uh, second best option, and I have devoted my life to being a mattress salesman. All right. The, the term CEO. We all know what it means, the literal interpretation, but from your point of view, what is a CEO and what is, is a CEO different today than maybe what it was in the past? Uh, that's a, the, is it different? Perhaps, um, certainly business evolves. Um, no, I, I think a CEO, I, I, a wise mentor of mine once told me that at its core, a CEO really has just three responsibilities. Okay. And uh, I, I think there's a lot of truth to this. One is... You know, set the strategy and vision for the company and make sure that all stakeholders inside and outside the company completely know and believe in that. Mm-hmm. Second is hire the very best people you can. And third is make sure there's money in the bank. Mm-hmm. And and really at the core, that is that is most of what I do. It is fundamentally making sure everyone's march, marching in the same direction and that we have a direction that makes sense. Um, and as a public company, that involves the board as well and making sure we're all aligned on where we're going it's making sure we are building not only the best talent we can at all levels in the company and talent that works together. Culture mm-hmm. is a big part of that and making sure you're building a team that feeds on itself successfully. And uh, yeah, we, we need to run a sustainable long-term business, which uh, as a young company was something we had to learn to do. We weren't there. And it's, are we actually set up? Do we have the resources to invest in growth? Do we have a healthy enough business that we can get the flywheel going the right way where, you know, we are actually growing and feeding that growth? And uh, that's that I think at the core is really the bulk of what I focus my time on. CEOs get a lot of credit for companies that are successful. Oh, yeah. You know, you'll get a lot of credit for what you've been (laughs) able to do. But how do you recognize the team as well? Because... You may have done it by yourself. I doubt that. You know, it's a team thing, right? Oh, it's absolutely a team thing. I mean, I, we, uh, including part-time and contractors, we're over a thousand people now, um, and you know, I'm one one thousandth mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it is entirely about the team. It is entirely about the people. I mean, the best thing I can do is get out of the way and uh, hire again the very best people I can and let them do their jobs. Um, they're 
you know, the, the good ones are the ones that come in because they bring something to the table that either I can't do or even if I could, I shouldn't be doing or don't have the time to do. So, yeah, it is it, it is remarkable how far we've come. And it is entirely because of the people we brought in and the teams that they've built out. You mentioned, Joe, that this idea, the company's been around in its original form about 30 years, but you changed in the last three years. You've gone public. Yeah. What has that been like? Oh, it's been a... It's, <laughs> Do you it, need an hour? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is therapy, right? Um, no, it's it's been an evolution. So, I mean, we, we started life... I mean, our founders are two just remarkably um, effective scientists, really, mm-hmm. they're, they're, and they're they're true inventors and not in the shark tank. I've got an idea. Let me kind of do my, my one pitch, you know, they they are truly scientists, which means a a methodical research driven way of, of discovering new things and, and finding solutions. Um, and, and often, you know, that, that means in, in, in a series of invention, it's kind of willing things into existence that, you know, to others might seem impossible or preposterous. And, and they've been doing that for decades. And, uh, you know, we're all a little better off for that. Um, and really, for the first several decades, what they did is a licensing business. Mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. it's invent these things. You know, a lot of big companies and, you know, examples of companies they license into are like Nike, you know, big companies. You know, they often have their own research departments, but it's uh, it's hard to do this in-house. And yeah. they were able to come up with things and license into some very big companies um, very successfully and create a nice stream of revenues for themselves. Um, and along the way, they came up with some interesting betting applications, primarily for medical. Um, it was uh, you know, wheelchair cushions mm-hmm, that dramatically mm-hmm. improved quality of life for people who are chronically in wheelchairs, um, medical bed applications that were tough, so you know, burn unit victims um, or critical care or you know, just cases where uh, the, the, the comfort and, and having sustained uh, a time on a bed matters a lot. Um, they were due, but but these were very high-priced items sold through you know the biggest medical distributors, so the Strikers and Medlines, um, and uh, you know it was perfect at the time because you didn't have to produce that many units. Um, it could be a slow, expensive process because yeah. when yeah. you're doing commercial applications, you know, the price aligns with that. Um, so uh, so what really changed is after being at this for decades. Um, we finally we make all of this ourselves, and uh, the the beds themselves require these remarkable, enormous machines, um, kind of the size of a small barn. Um, and and the simplest way to think of it is just imagine a a massive waffle iron that spits out <laughs> truck sized you know waffles. Um, I want to see that waffle iron. By the way, we'll have to get you out. It, and and it's, it's it's in many ways um, it really is kind of a giant mm-hmm. waffle iron. Um, it's it's injection moldings. You don't pour the batter in; it gets shoved in. But uh, but same basic principle. And uh, yeah, we finally came up with a contraption, a machine that we could produce beds at scale and at a much more uh, um, reasonable cost, mm-hmm. which opened up the idea of consumer selling. And you know now you've also got the age of the internet, where you can actually launch brands and take things to scale in, in ways that just weren't achievable uh, many years ago. So it all kind of came together about four years ago where they were able to finally, you know, create this uh, this opportunity. And, and we were we were basically behind on our ability to manufacture from the day we launched. It started with a Kickstarter. And uh, I mean, even I think our first couple Christmases, we were you know, I think months behind at one point. <laughs> um, 
you know, Christmas 2017, we actually turned the site off for a while because we just couldn't take any more orders. Wow. So, I mean, this, this thing has been an incredible success in terms of the right product at the right time and in just incredible consumer satisfaction and demand. But scaling a manufacturing company and then, you know, we went public in, uh, in February of 18, so uh, almost two years ago now. Um, you know, also puts a lot of other costs and demands on a company. You're no longer just kind of free to do your own mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. It's you're suddenly under the uh, watchful eye of shareholders and public disclosures and regulatory requirements and and quarterly earnings. And so, uh, you know, not to mention you're bound to you know regulations like SOX compliance and you know all these things you've suddenly got to do. And for a young, immature company, uh, it was. Uh, it was rough. That's a challenge. It was rough. Did it, did it change your management style, or has it changed your management style? Well, I, I came in after we went public. Yeah. Um, so I, I'd say my, my management style was brought in exactly because of where we were. Um, and, and I wouldn't say personally my management style has changed a lot, and, and I think I kind of do what I do. Um, but what I would say is the management style I introduced into Purple was uh, was very different than how we had been operating prior to my arrival. How was it different? What was different? Well, I, I think there's, uh, there's stages companies go through. And uh, we we were still very entrepreneurial in nature. And, and in an entrepreneurial company, it, it means uh, you get a lot of people who just get get crap done, yeah. you know, and, and everyone kind of just jumps in. And uh, you, you don't need as much process. You don't need as much structure. It's easier to kind of take risks and recover. Um, I mean, it's just part of the whole entrepreneurial way. Um, and we also had two very, very strong founders who had been very involved in the company. And uh, founder-led businesses, I think, you know, are you know, it's, it's most entrepreneurial stories. It's, again, really how you will this into business. But we were suddenly getting to a point that we needed – you know, a much bigger organization with more functional expertise and a lot more collaboration and partnership across these organizations um, and a lot of accountability to far more stakeholders. I mean, with our board of directors, mm -hmm. our shareholders, just the employees themselves who, you know, were growing in, in number and making sure we were recognizing their needs and setting them up for success. So I, I, I think I brought in a lot more structure and process. I think I brought in a notion of just a lot more transparency and collaboration um, you know, to really scale a business. There has to be a very high degree of trust and trust is earned and trust starts with, uh, you know, with uh, transparency. It's you know, where, where trust breaks down is where you don't think you have the facts or you think what you're hearing isn't true. And, you know, and, and if you don't know the facts, you invent facts and you start making things up. It's just a human nature. And, yeah. You know, I think really breaking that down into, okay, we're going to be, you know, almost um, ridiculously transparent and open and communicative and make sure everyone's operating off the same data and the same knowledge and everyone understands what we're doing and everyone understands what their job is and everyone understands what their partner's jobs are and how that comes together. And I don't want to oversell. I mean, we, we are on a journey to this <laughs> at this end state. I wouldn't say, uh, you know, that, you that figured we it all figured out. it all out. <laughs> but, but in terms of stylistically and culturally, that was the direction we were now heading down. And, and I think it's, um, you know, I, I think it's really starting to find who we are moving forward. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I want to address two areas. I want to talk about the power of the employee today mm-hmm. and the power of, cons- of the consumer because it has changed. Let's start with the employee. Are employees different today? Do you feel they have more power, more say in what the company is doing, and how do you manage that? Yeah, I well, I um, I do think employees get a lot more focused today than they did. I mean, we're the the biggest number of employees we have is in manufacturing, and I, I think old school manufacturing is, is almost like human robotics. <laughs> it's you know, humans were automatons who were just told what they do to do trained into some function and then just do your job yeah. and don't ask questions and don't worry about anything else. Yeah. And stood assume, on the assembly line yeah, and got it done. And, uh, you know, and it, it works and it's relatively low cost. Um, but two things have changed. One, the competitive market for labor has changed mm-hmm. and, you know, with Amazons and distribution centers. And, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, for getting work right now. Um, that doesn't necessarily require a college degree and, and can still create an opportunity to, to create uh, create uh, you know, the the economics to sustain your f- your family mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I think it just isn't as simple as here's a job here's a paycheck do your job we don't want to hear from you and in some ways even we were somewhat like that um, as we were a young manufacturer and just trying to figure it out and you know you see evidence of this we uh, when I joined our annual attrition rate in manufacturing. So, you know, what percentage of people at the end of the year were still new yeah. um, was was higher than 100%. You know, we were basically turning over every single person working for us um, on an annual basis. And, you know, we're, uh, we're uh, west of the airport, and out in Tooele County, and, you know, there's, there's not an endless population out there. You know, you do that for too long, and it's sort of like <laughs> You're gonna ev- run out of everyone within driving distance <laughs> has worked for us. And... Uh, you know, and some of that is some of that could just be fundamentals. Are we paying the right amount of money? Some of it could be just we're not treating the employees well, and there's enough opportunities out there uh, that we're going to lose the people. And uh, you know, and, and of course, if you have that kind of attrition, it means you're never really hitting efficiencies because you're in constant training. You're likely not, you know, if people aren't sticking around, you're likely not getting the best people and investing in them to turn them into the best people. Um, so uh, that doesn't work. And, uh, you know, we have shifted things around a lot. I mean, our, our attrition now is a much more appropriate low single digits. Um, we actually, it's amazing, we've increased our hourly rates pretty dramatically mm-hmm. by, uh, mm-hmm. by a couple dollars on, on average. Um, 
but we've actually been able to reduce our labor cost per unit by nearly half. Because of um, the turnover? Because we're getting higher quality yeah. people. We are getting more out of them. They're actually participating in the conversation. And we are you know, we, we try really hard to open ourselves up and, and ideally reward employees when they come up with ways to do things better and continuous, improve, continuous improvement and, uh, and helping us along. And, and it makes their jobs easier, too. It helps the economics of the business. Um, and it means we can pay for higher quality labor. They stick around and we get the long-term benefits of, of the, the skills that they learn over time and that they learn the business more and are able to actually direct and drive improvements. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it becomes a great flywheel. But it started with we've got to actually make sure we've got employees we care about who are contributing to the business, who feel valued, who are willing to stick around and that we're improving the business by listening to them and not just telling them what to do. The challenge I hear sometimes is that you've with with the workforce today, they're willing to change from one company to another company. You know, they're willing, I think the average is what, three to five years, maybe a little bit different. How do you retain people or do you accept the fact we are going to have a turnover sometimes because the 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 employee has changed from what it used to be. They aren't going to be a 20 or 30 year uh, employee. Yeah, I I think um, I think it's a little of both, um, and I, I spent much of the last fifteen years in the Bay Area, where uh, if you haven't changed jobs, it's almost looked at as a liability. It's like, oh, I'm looking at your resume, and you've been at the last company for ten years. What's wrong with you? Yeah, how dare you? You, you know, uh, you're not marketable. Um, so, I mean, there are pockets in the U.S. where uh, um, I, I think it's almost inappropriately encouraged to see how many jobs you can stack up, and I, I don't think that's right either. Um, but I, I think the critical thing is why people leave or change jobs. If uh, if you're investing people, creating an opportunity for growth and expansion, they're able to actually learn and contribute. And, and it's not just about the money. I mean, you, you run a survey in any company, and are you compensated enough? And you will never, ever find mm-hmm. a company that mm-hmm. says, everyone says, yes, please don't pay me any more money. Um, it's, you know, that... That always becomes the final straw. It's, it's are you actually giving a place that people feel good about their jobs, they're doing the things they want to do, they're growing and, and learning. And if you're not servicing that um, or, or other companies are doing it dramatically better, that's a miss and you're going to lose people. And that would be an indication of things you need to fix internally. But I think there's another side, which is I, I think it is very important to develop people and recognize there are times where – People outgrow you. Um, I, I love hiring people who are earlier in their careers or people who, you know, call it diamonds in the rough yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah. or people who, uh, you know, have very high potential. Um, and some of them will blossom very rapidly. And you get the benefit of, you know, sort of teaching them our way of doing things. And it, it tends to be the economics are good. You're, you're not hiring very expensive top shelf talent. You're hiring people who uh, perhaps are a little underestimated in their market worth, but then actually demonstrate their ability. But some of those will actually grow and hit a point that they grow faster than you have opportunities. And uh, I've had many employees through the years who have resigned because they were able to go find opportunities that I couldn't offer them and, uh, you know, have launched some pretty tremendous careers. Do you find joy in that? I do. It's, um, I'm a a father, I've got three boys, and I, I actually find I, uh, if I treat my family the way I treat my company, I treat my company the way I treat my family, that there's a lot of synergies 
um, around just you know respect and learning and growth and and the roles you play. And yeah, if I have employees that I've invested in that I you know that maybe even I found, which in a family you don't exactly choose your children, but uh, you know that I've found and invested in and they've uh, achieved the potential that I I saw in them is is remarkably rewarding for me. I, I love knowing that I had some small piece in yeah. some of these people's careers. And it is. It's very paternal in nature. Yeah. Let's talk about the consumer now. Because sure. the consumer has changed as well. Has the consumer, I mean, you know, they want to do it on their own time. They aren't afraid to say something if they weren't served properly. I mean, yeah. they will take the social media and slam somebody or say they weren't happy with this. In that, knowing the consumer is a little different and I think more powerful than they've ever been before. As a company who serves them, how do you deal with that? Yeah, how I, do you approach that? Yeah, I, well, so I'm not sure the consumer has changed, but I do think the uh, the ability to sort of like weaponize consumers <laughs> to, uh, you know, to have control has changed a lot. And, and the reason I say that is I, I think throughout history – through, through modern sort of, sort of economic history, I think the companies that put a very high premium on knowing who their customer was and servicing them and making sure they were getting it right every time have always been rewarded. And I think customers have always been smart that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the difference is there's more choice. It's easier to, uh, to identify and find companies. Um, one thing that's changed is, for good or for bad, in in commodity businesses, which you know, CPG, for example, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it used to be the only way you really had choice was trust on brand. You went into a, uh, a grocery store or a convenience store or a department store, and you knew the brands you knew, and they got the shelf space, and that's what you bought because that was the only way to ensure. You know, Now, where you've got hundreds of, of options and and transparency of reviews and feedback and and user-generated photographs and things, you've got opportunity to not just stick with the major brands, which has created enormous price erosion. And I I think the value side of the business is kind of an awful place to be right now because <laughs> um, there is sort of race for the bottom pricing going on in yeah. a lot of industries, and it's getting much, much harder to be a brand in those markets. Um, so I, I, I think it is making sure you understand who your consumer is and that you're servicing them and that you're listening. And uh, again, I, th- I think the web, you know, it, you know, we're roughly 20 years old or so. Um, I, uh, I, I think the web has created an incredible way to get data and feedback that, again, has always been there. Mm-hmm. It's just a much more efficient way to collect, for, to collect and yeah. access. I mean, before the web, you know, you had loyalty programs and credit card receipt data. And there, there's always been ways to look at the analytical side of consumer and marketing effectiveness and, and consumer behavior. It's just most companies didn't. I mean, these were the ages of, of sort of the Don Draper, Mad Men, finger in the wind. You know, I've, mm. I've got the pulse on uh, what consumers want. And the mm. reality is consumers vote with their wallets. Consumers are willing to talk if you ask and listen. And I, I think that's the amazing thing that's happened now is – is both consumers have a bigger voice, but companies have a much, much better opportunity to listen and learn and test and get it right for the consumer. Where I think it's really changed things for the company is it also means you actually have to have a good value proposition. Mm -hmm. It's a lot harder to sort of, you you know, you can fool some people (laughs) all of the time. You know, it's, you know, it's, I think it's a lot harder to sustain a business unless you really have a clear value proposition that resonates with customers and customers, again, when they vote with their wallets, 
um, you know, consistently vote that way. And uh, that that's, you know, the, the company I chose is one that is built at its core around a very clear, definable value proposition. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's one of the only ways to really succeed in an age of of massive marketplaces and brand erosion and price-driven competitive Mm -hmm. marketing is you've got to have something different. There are uh, companies out there who succeed online only. There are companies who need brick and mortar. You do both from what I understand. Why? Well, I am. I'm not sure I completely agree that there are companies that succeed only at one or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, I would argue there are very, very few companies that truly are single channel right now. Mm Um, There are some that intrinsically are just, I mean, like an an Uber, the whole point is it's an app. Yeah. Now, of course, it involves real cars and real drivers and real people in the real world, but it's an app. It's an app. So, I mean, there are certainly some very purpose-driven tools out there um, that don't involve the real world. But even an Amazon is opening stores and bought Whole Foods and, you know, has lockers and distribution centers all over the place. Um, so I, I think consumers are uh, are inherently omnichannel now. I don't, I don't think the internet is a channel anymore. I think it is one of many ways consumers interact with brands and companies and have an expectation to be able to engage in uh, in multiple channels. And uh, I, I also think there is a lot of products still, especially as you get into the, the more luxury and premium side, that consumers want to have some opportunity to showroom. Doesn't mean they necessarily want to buy on the spot, but I want to see it for myself. I want to try it on. I want to taste it. I want to feel it. it whatever it is, and I think it's why in uh, many industries you're still seeing sixty to seventy percent of sales are happening mm-hmm. in the physical world. Um, but even that's a distorted number. Um, you look at you, know, you look at some of the new breed companies that are entering into brick and mortar. Um, you know, an early example was like a Warby Parker. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm. they carry zero inventory in their stores, but their stores are profitable, you know, because the whole point is here's a place where you can get fitted, try on all the different frames. And, you know, we're following a similar pattern. You know, we're not going to carry mattresses turn out they're, they're kind of big yeah. and kind of heavy and, and you need you, space you, you need space, <laughs> and you can't exactly toss them over your shoulder and, and, uh, gallivant out to your car. Um, so, uh, you know, they're, they are showrooms. It's a chance to experience our brand, to talk to us, to get demonstrations of what makes us better and different in the technology. But at the end of the day, like a Warby Parker, it's an e-commerce order. And it's just a matter of better servicing that customer and and helping them through the process. And I think, by the way, call centers is the other piece that uh, I think often gets overlooked on this, um, which I believe, I mean, it really comes down to human beings. I believe humans like talking to humans yeah. on their terms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, whether that's chat, whether it's email, whether it's a phone call, whether it's in person, it has to be on the consumer's terms. But uh, the, the, the more expensive or the more important the purchase, the more a customer wants help. They just, I mean, in the simplest sense, they just want to be told, hey, this is expensive. Is this okay? Am I going to like this? I- am I at risk? You know, if I don't like it, do I have a way out? And... Uh, whether they're trusting the voice of other customers in the sense of like user reviews or whether they're trusting associates who, if you're good, are able to really help your customer along and aren't just that mm-hmm. commissioned sales rep who's clearly just trying to take your money at all costs. Yeah, but it makes it makes that customer, they want to feel valued. That's right. And, the, and, and that's probably the most important thing. Now, I want to move on to another area. You mentioned earlier, uh, Joe, that this was a company, Purple, that grew too fast in some cases. And you were brought in to kind of handle that growth, will at the same time take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Big challenge? 
It's a big challenge. <laughs> challenge that you yes, accepted, sir. obviously. I, uh, I uh, for whatever reason, came in and said, <laughs> I'll take this on. <laughs> and do you ask yourself sometimes, why? No, I, um, I, my wife sometimes does. Um, <laughs> no, I, uh, this is, um, you got to be careful saying that they'll be careful what you wish for. Now, this, this is exactly what I was looking for and exactly what I expected, but it is, it's a big challenge. I mean, I, uh, there, there's sort of a belief that when you get to that CEO, you've made it and, you know, golf clubs and executive lunchrooms and I, I don't know all these things. So uh, I, I can assure you, at least in my case, no such things exist. I'm, uh, <laughs> I am personally working harder and more hours than I think I have in my entire career. Uh, but it's it's uh, what I was looking for. And, and you know, it starts with there are there were assets here that aren't my creation that are really hard to be successful at. And, you know, two specifically there was a product that already existed that, you know, we could build lots of other products from, but, but a product that already existed that was proven in the marketplace that consumers loved. And the, and the product was, was unique and, and you know, demonstrably better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we had a marketing platform that, while I wouldn't say we had a well-known brand that, you know, is in the mindset of most consumers and, uh, you know, and and certainly isn't yet a lifestyle brand. We had cut through the noise, and we had a brand that had resonated in some amazing ways, primarily through digital. And we've had you know, nearly 1.8 billion views wow. of our videos right now. Which, just to put it in pr- pretty simple terms, that means we have produced mattress commercials that consumers have chosen voluntarily <laughs> to watch 1.8 billion times. And that's there's something pretty amazing about that on a brand connection. So, building a brand from scratch really hard. And creating a product people want and care about that didn't exist before really hard. Those two things were already done. Everything else is really operational. It's how do you build a company to scale this and do it in a way that the economics work and that it works for the customer and you, you, know, you get to the channels where they want. Yeah, that's, that's operational. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of where we were. You know, we, had, we had the great fortune of getting the hard things done early and uh, the other hard things are uh, are very manageable if you get the right team in place and you get the right leadership team in place. And that, that's that's really what scaling a company is. It's it's finding that balance of the operational side and you know the amazing product and marketing side. The entrepreneur out there who is just starting, what advice would you give them? Um. Well, I, I you know. <laughs> So I'm a practical guy. I'm the ops guy. I mean, you know, we're my and, and, and I'm not an entrepreneur. Yeah. And let, let me say that. I mean, the reality is, um, you know, what, what holds me back is the odds of any new startup succeeding are astronomically low. And, you know, it's it's weighted in the favor of the investors mm-hmm. who cast a very wide net, you know, these big portfolios and the vast majority fail. And the one or two that succeed, succeed with such incredible degree that it pays for all the failures. So, I mean, the network is built around you um, so that, you know, most people are protected except the entrepreneur. You know, so ultimately, it's it's how do you create something that has a chance of success? And, and I, I think there has to be you know at the beginning some some path to monetization some path where if everything 
I mean, in, in the dot in the dot bomb days, everyone was like, "Oh, you know, we're we're servicing the customer something they want. How are you going to make money? Marketing, you know, it, there has to be some intrinsic, whether it's a flywheel or a value proposition, or you're selling something people are willing to pay for. I think if you can figure out what your addressable market is and figure out how the economics can work, and you've got something that is truly defensible and differentiated, then I'd say, you know, work your tail off and will that into existence. Um, uh, I, I think it's a lot harder when it's already a competitive marketplace or it's not entirely clear where or how you're going to make money. Um, but there are some very successful companies out there who, in the beginning, I'm not sure anyone could have articulated how they were going to make money someday, and they figured it out <laughs> along the way. So, uh, and, it, and it came. And it came. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Final question. Do you consider what you do a job? Um, sure. I, uh, but, but the question is, it's, it's a loaded question, as you all well know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I, I, uh, I do think it's a job, but I also, I, I, it really comes down to what's the definition of a job. And I, I think it's something you're responsible to do. Um, and I have a responsibility to my shareholders, the board. I have responsibilities to every one of our employees. I have responsibilities to every customer who's ever purchased from us, uh, as well as responsibilities to my family and myself. And, uh, I, I think across all of those, there are jobs to be done, whether it's doing the dishes, taking out the trash, or uh, <laughs> you know, ensuring that we can pay bonuses. You know, it's uh, they're they're all jobs to do. Um, I uh, and I enjoy doing work. I enjoy doing jobs. I enjoy the sense of accomplishment. And I think if you can define things, it's to me, it's not just a job. It's if you can define things in ways that you understand what it is you're trying to accomplish and what benefit or value you get from doing that, and then do it. I, I think it's it's a it's a great sense of accomplishment. Joe, it's been a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.